This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Virginia only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 532 3500. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to Sports Better's Paradise on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, that time of the year, time for the big dance. And, well, you know, a lot of people have become experts over the last week or so. These guys have been in the trenches for quite some time. Paul Stone of the Paul Stone Sports, Bruce Marshall, executive editor of the Gold Sheet, all college hoop season long. They have been providing a lot of uh, great angles, certainly tons of information. And that's what we want to know, especially from the mid-majors and how they stack up with the big boys as we get into the field of 68 right now. Paul, how you doing, buddy? Doing well, man. Glad. Uh, this is a great time of the year. Had Selection Sunday yesterday, and now we've got uh, a lot of NCAA tournament games to look at and those of us who uh, handicap the other uh, tournaments as well, the uh, NIT, the Basketball Classic, and so forth, CBI. We've got uh, even more work to do. So a great time of the year, though, for us uh, college basketball handicappers. Bruce, uh, I'm not sure exactly how many years, but it's been a long, long time. You've been doing your own bracketology. Uh, what what surprised you about the uh, the selection committee process? Not too much. I mean, they're 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 really heavily into the metrics, but we knew that. Um, I, I just wish there was a little better explanation of the net, a little bit. Um, when that calculation had Nevada at a 37 and didn't really budge the Wolfpack too much with their losses down the stretch, and I know it's just you know one of 30 31 games or whatever. But uh, to have Vanderbilt at an 81, um, I mean, I know they, they based on, on the net, but how you arrive at that, uh, they, they've never really explained the, the whole algorithm thing. But that's just, a, you know, a, a couple of things like that. But otherwise, I thought they seeded the tournament pretty well. So, um, you know, here we go. It seems like we just did this a few weeks ago for last year. Here we are again. So ready to go. One thing I know about the net is uh, one of the coaches was uh, sort of instrumental in providing some of the metrics, some of the input uh, of a power rating system. And that's the whole thing. Well, that's great. It's an objective tool, but there has to be a human element on how many, you know, uh, you know, what inputs you decide. Offensive and defensive efficiency. Mark Few, guess what? His team is pretty high in the net every season, so they're up there again. Now, they have kind of flip-flopped their season. They used to be keyed up for the bulk of their schedule, the teeth of their schedule, non-conference, November, December, where they've always had a lot of success because they're more tuned up at that time of the year as opposed to their competition. This year is flip-flop. They struggled that part. And then they seem to get better in conference play where they actually had some uh, some pretty good competition with St. Mary's, Santa Clara, San Francisco, uh, and some others uh, even lost a game at home to Marymount. But the NET and, and then the quad one, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, I'll start with you, Paul. Tennessee. Tennessee's in the top five, top three for a large part of the season. 
Well, their resume was extremely good. But then when they started to struggle, it became a kind of a, a mediocre average team for about an eight-game stretch. They never budged out of the top five of the NET. Yeah, that's odd. I mean, I'm kind of like Bruce. Uh, it, it's difficult to know exactly what the parameters are. And, uh, you know, Tennessee, obviously, as you pointed out, uh, even before Ziegler's injury, they were starting to uh, starting to falter some, and they weren't the same team clearly that they were early in the season and even midseason. So, uh, you know, it's a uh, it's a difficult uh, nut to crack. But uh, we've got some games now to to focus on and some numbers to look at. So I'm kind of looking at it from that angle, and uh, you know, just uh, anxious for the games to get started. Uh, real quickly, Bruce, some other ones. I, I was a little surprised that Virginia was ahead of Duke, and one of the one of the reasons I remember that game in Charlottesville, where it was just a, I mean, a flat out blown call that's going to give Duke the, the win at Charlottesville. Certainly, you're not putting them ahead of them if they win that game uh, on the road, and they look so much better uh, in conference tournament play, and they are under a first year coach, and they have, you know, but they have developed over the course of the season without question. Yeah, I thought they were a bit underseated on the Duke side. I thought Texas A&M was a bit underseated at a, at a seven. I think when you look back, though, a lot of these things, the, the conference tournaments, I'm not sure how much they really matter, uh, you know, especially when you're, you've got teams that are both going to be into the dance there. I mean, obviously the Duke-Virginia thing, I mean, Duke wins the, the game. They're seated lower uh, than Virginia. I think a lot of this stuff was already decided before we got to some of those conference tourney finals. So... Uh, but just a couple of things like that. Overall, I think the the seeds are are, are pretty good, and uh, we'll just see where it goes. And, and look, if you if you did not make it in on the bubble, I mean, you you have, I mean, th- those bubble teams really struggled. And what's that old saying? Uh, if they're in a position of must win, they must not be that good. So I mean, the bubble teams really did struggle uh, against spread uh, coming down a stretch. All right. Thursday action. So we're going to break this into four time quadrants. So this is the Thursday a.m. session. Eight games minus the Bama game because they have to wait for the play-in opponent. But we'll start off 12-15 Eastern time on Thursday. Nine seed uh, West Virginia, two and a half, 139 and a half over the eight seed Maryland. Paul, I'll start with you. Yeah, you know, uh, like a lot of modern-day college basketball teams, this West Virginia team has kind of been (laughs) rebuilt through the uh, portal. Uh, And their performance this year, you know, in the Big 12 kind of epitomizes the top-to-bottom strength of that league. I mean, West Virginia comes out of the gate. Uh, First of all, they they start out with a solid 10-2 record in the non-conference schedule, I should say. They come out of the gate, though, in the Big 12 uh, lose their first five conference games. Uh, they do rebound to win seven of their final 13 conference games. They also beat Auburn by three at home in the SEC Big 12 Challenge uh, there in between their conference schedules. So they they rebounded nicely. Uh, they got an off guard I really like, Eric Stevenson, a guy who, uh, again, kind of is the, uh, you know, the, the epitome of the transfer portal. This is the fourth program that Eric Stevenson has played, uh, previously played at South Carolina, Washington, uh, and uh, Wichita State. So at West Virginia, averages about 15.5 points a game. I think he'll pose some matchup problems. I really liked West Virginia at two. Uh, I see it at two and a half there at uh, Bet Rivers. Uh, not one of my bigger plays on the early Thursday games, uh, but I do lean uh, heavily 
towards the Mountaineers here, even at two and a half there at Bet Rivers, and might kind of hold my spot a little bit and see if it comes down to two. But I like West Virginia to defeat uh, Maryland in that opening game. All right, Bruce, uh, that, that's one of your favorite plays of this uh, first uh, early Thursday morning session. That's Bob Huggins, Mountaineers. Yeah, well, one note here. I mean, there's a, there's a few whispers uh, that Huggins is uh, thinking about retiring. Uh, you know, we haven't heard too much more about that, but that, that did come across a couple of weeks ago. So just keep that in, in mind, too. Uh, this is mostly an anti-Maryland pick for me, uh, mainly because these games aren't being played in College Park. I mean, this team, there, there wasn't much a much greater home road dichotomy among any of these teams in the tournament than you had with Maryland, which lost 10 of its last 11 games away from the Xfinity Center. They just were not the same team away from home. I mean, they need this to be 1970 when the Final Four was in College Park at the old Cole Fieldhouse. Uh, they do not play that well on the road. Uh, we know about Jameer Young, the transfer from Charlotte. Uh, when he's hot, he seems to give Maryland a chance, but it was just pretty stark with these guys. The only road game they won was at Minnesota in the league. They had a lot of trouble. This isn't a true road game, but it's not a college park either. And uh, they didn't do too well in the Big 12, in the Big 10 tournament either. Uh, Paul mentioned some of these transfer there for, uh, for West Virginia have come in, and that's where, poor, uh, where Huggins seems to have lived in the portal. Trey Mitchell, another uh, transfer in his third school uh, in the last four years, and uh, Paul mentioned Stevenson on his fourth school. Stevenson has really come on, though, lately scoring pretty well. And uh, we'll see about the Big 12 here, how strong it is. But I, I think this is a spot. It's mostly an anti-Maryland pick for me here. But that's a pretty strong one because that's the trend this year. They just didn't play that well away from their home floor. Uh, and uh, Birmingham is not College Park, last time I checked. Uh, no no doubt. And uh, the last year where I think it was uh, called the Gene Cady rule for a while, the, the number six Boilermakers in 1986 had to travel to Bat Rouge to take on LSU. Their 11 seed lost a double overtime. And uh, Cady the next year was almost sent to Syracuse to play too. But it was just a win before that. But, uh, of course, no longer are teams allowed to play on their home court. Play in their home state, even their hometown, but not on their home court. All right, to the next game, 1240 Eastern, number four, Virginia, number four seed, Virginia, five and a half, 132 over the Purple Paladins, number 13 seed, Furman, and this would 413, Paul, it's not the biggest spread, so anticipating some, maybe some dog action here on Furman. Yeah, I was hoping, we're seeing, I think, five and a half and 132 there at Bet Rivers. I was hoping for six or more. Uh, you know, this Virginia team, first of all, they, they kind of, in my mind, symbolize uh, the perils of putting any stock in the major polls, uh, especially if you're a sports better. I mean, the Cavaliers in mid-February, just a few weeks ago, they were ranked in the, the top ten. Uh, and I don't think anybody who maintains power ratings uh, and does this, uh, you know, at something more than a recreational level, uh, thought the Virginia Cavaliers were a top ten team. Uh, absolutely uh, ludicrous. But I think that 15-point uh, loss at Boston College in late February – showed, uh, you know, how low Virginia can go when uh, it's at its worst. Furman, like a lot of mid-majors, it's really tough to project how they're going to play in this type of environment against this level of opponent because they frankly just don't get the opportunity uh, to play very many high-caliber opponents. Uh, but they did lose to uh, tournament-bound Penn State by five on a neutral floor, and they defeated a decent Stephen F. Austin team uh, early on by two on a neutral floor as well. Uh, that was a week before Christmas. Again, I was hoping for six. 
Uh, if it gets up to six, I'll probably take a small shot at Furman, uh, but it's Furman or nothing for me in this game. All right, Bruce, uh, Virginia, again, five and a half, 132 at Bet Rivers right now. Yeah, I, I sort of agree with, with Paulie here. I think uh, Furman would, would be the look. Uh, Virginia, uh, Tony Bennett's had some – I know he won that title in 2019, but don't forget he lost in the first round, the only one seed to ever lose in the previous year. In 2018, they got bounced by Ohio U, so they've had some trouble in first rounds before. Uh, this is not the 2019 team. That had some NBA players on it. I'm not sure that Tony's got any. It's just a lot of his coaching, which is good enough most nights. Furman is interesting as heck. Uh, I don't think there's a more experienced team in the country. Um, in He's got a couple of fifth-year starters in Bothwell, the guard, and Jalen Slauson, the forward. Of the top seven players in Bob Ritchie's rotations, uh, there are 22 years, 22 seasons worth of college experience, all 22 of those seasons at Furman. So this is not a team built from the portal. I mean, these guys have been together for a while, and they do a few things very interesting for one of these dogs. One, they can score. They score over 82 points per game. And that experience and a good backcourt, we mentioned Bothwell, uh, this is a pretty tr- tricky dog here. And uh, this, the SoCon teams are generally not outclassed in the tournament. Uh, so Furman can play with these guys, and I would give Furman a look here. Yeah. All right. Uh, so uh, giving a little consideration to uh, the Paladins there. Third game is a 140 Eastern tip-off. Number 10 seed, Utah State, 1 and 154. That 154, that in the Arizona-Princeton game is the highest total of these first eight games of the Thursday morning session. And uh, against Missouri, number seven seed out of the SEC, uh, Missouri, who finally ran into just uh, just one of the best shots to close out the first half in their loss in the SEC semifinal against Alabama, by the way, but just could not handle the tide as they have reversed things after their 0-4 ATS skid entering uh, into the uh, conference tournament play. Uh, Paul, you're looking at the total here. That's a big one at 154. Yeah, I mean, the, the total is definitely far more attractive to me than the side here. Both these teams do play very fast, both rank in the top 15 uh, in Ken Palm's uh, offensive efficiency rating, so they do like to play the up-tempo uh, game. But I think historically some teams can come out tied in the tournament, uh, fewer fouls called, um, less scoring generally speaking. The total uh, about an hour ago before we uh, came on was 155 and a half. So it's uh, there at Bet Rivers, now 154 at Bet Rivers. So the uh, under has taken some action. I don't want it to get much uh, lower, but I'll uh, recommend a uh, play on the under 154 in Utah State, Missouri. Bruce, I was in a Las Vegas sports book on Saturday watching the Mountain West final, and a guy next to me said, Man, can we get a call for Utah State? Utah State, San Diego State was a really good game, but they just could not get anything, uh, any buckets or any calls down the stretch as San Diego State pulled away. This line opened up last night at Bet Rivers at two, Bruce. It is down to one right now. Listen, there's going to be a lot of fluctuation with these lines over the next couple of days, but the Aggies at uh, minus one has caught your attention. Yeah, uh, I was there at the uh, Thomas and Mack Center and uh, in Saturday, I mean, right down on the floor. And uh, I'll tell you what, Utah State is very big. Uh, too, and uh, they do score a lot, like Paul mentioned, and they shoot threes as good as anybody in the country. Now, they didn't on on Saturday. 
the Aztecs really seemed to close them down. And you're right, uh, that, that game got very, very uh, physical. But uh, this is a big team, too. And one thing Utah State lacks, though, is a true point guard. And, and that's sort of the uh, byproduct of uh, Rylan Jones, who was their point guard, got hurt uh, before the midway point in the season. Uh, it hasn't slowed them down that much, uh, but Ashworth and, and Shulga are not natural point guards. They've been able to sort of put that together. Ryan Odom's an excellent coach. He'd won that game with uh, UMBC over Virginia a few years ago. He stuck around uh, at UMBC. He didn't bolt for just any job. He thought this is a job he could win at. Taylor Funk, the transfer from St. Joe's, 6'9 forward, put up some big numbers lately. Uh, they are just so darn big and physical. They are bigger than Mizzou. And listen, I think Dennis Dates did a great job. This is a merry band of transfers that he's got, including Demoy Hodge, his guard who came with him from Cleveland State. Golston came in from Milwaukee, so some mid-major transfers came in. Uh, but they're not as big as, as Utah State, and you got to really bring it physically against these guys too. I know they shoot threes, but they are big and tough on the blocks. This is a really good team. Utah State's going to win this game and cover all right, uh, so Utah State, uh, the pick there for Bruce Marshall. So not a, a strong opinion, but the first thing that I'll look at, now, again, you got two 16 versus 16 play-ins, okay? And so we only have two of the lines, one, one 16 matchup. But Kansas right now at Bedford versus 20 and a half, 146 over Howard. And Houston is nine, 19, rather, and 122 and a half over Northern Kentucky. These lines, not too long ago, Paul, these lines were right around 30. Now, I think Alabama might be near the area of 30 when uh, after they get their, uh, their, you know, their matchup. But uh, only 20 and a half, 146 of the Jayhawks. I'm sure everybody expects Bill Self to be back this for this when he was out for the Big 12 tie, uh, tournament. Yeah, these games, not only the one versus 16 seeds, the lines used to be uh, more disparate. But, the, you know, the – just in general, I think the lines are tighter. You know, obviously there's not as much great offense in my mind in college basketball that there's more parity. Um, and it's a little bit different, I think, in the tournament too, that the better the public typically is going to lean their process towards the favorite. But I think in the early rounds of the NCAA tournament, I think the even just the casual recreational better who enters the marketplace, I think they look at the underdog. I, I think there's a lot of uh, public underdogs. So I think these uh, games are shaded uh, slightly to the underdog and also slightly uh, to the under. But uh, this Kansas game, I made it 22 and a half looking at this game specifically, uh, your typical one versus 16 uh, mismatch uh, in the tournament. Kansas coming off that 20-point uh, conference uh, tournament championship loss to Texas in Kansas City. Might have big se- uh, Bill Self rather back on the, uh, the sideline. I think the Jayhawks here, if I was going to look at anything, I think they might flex their muscle early, uh, get off to a big lead. So I might look at taking them in the first half, but I don't think there's going to be any bargains with that first half line, uh, even at 21-and-a-half. I think you might be laying about 13-and-a-half, 13 points in the first half line there, but I think the Jayhawks might be worth a look uh, when those first half lines come out. Bruce, a lot of these times, these big uh, these big lines, you know, kind of come to kind of garbage time in the last couple of minutes, too, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, the coach pulls his players or doesn't pull his players, and but these big spreads, uh, any overall philosophy uh, that you look at in some of these uh, 116 matchups? 
Yeah, I mean, I we've seen a lot in the past where a lot of these at the 16s and uh, well, some of the 15s aren't, aren't aren't that bad, but the 16s may hang around for a while. So I'm generally a bit reluctant, like in a first half bet, to 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 go with a favorite. In the second half, you really see some of these scores start to distort. Um, so I, I just have to re- approach all these uh, kind of carefully. Uh, most of the MEAC teams in the past, many of them have not been that outclassed. I'm not sure how Howard rates among some of those. They did play at Kentucky this year, uh, or they got beat by 32 in that game. I was a little surprised Howard got uh, avoided the play-in. Uh, I sort of thought Corpus Christi would be a straight 16 instead. They're back in the play-in for the second straight year. So Howard got a little bit of a break, but I don't see too much of an edge here. Just sort of a caution here uh, about... Um, uh, you know, and if you do look at, at some of these these sixteen seeds, sometimes I think the first half isn't a bad way to look at them, and before they start to really lose touch in the second half. All right, let's move on to the three ten Eastern tip. Number five seed San Diego State five and a half one forty two currently at Bet Rivers over the number twelve seed Charleston, and the twelve seeds. It's not just by coincidence that the twelve seeds have had a lot of success straight up against the five seeds because these are the bet or the the best, according to this committee, uh, the best of the mid-majors. Even though a lot of them may be, you know, one-seed leagues, they have the best overall resume. And man, year after year, it happens where these 12s pull off the upsets against a 5. And that's why you see sort of a modest line at 5.5. Uh, Paul, your thoughts about those 12 seeds and these mid-majors this year and historically uh, with their success they've had? Yeah, certainly the 12 seeds have had a lot of success against the the five seeds in, in the tournament. You know, I, I make numbers, though. I don't really look uh, consider too much the, the seedings when I make my numbers. And I actually made this game San Diego State uh, minus two and a half. You know, I, I came into the tournament, uh, spoke about it maybe a week before uh, on a podcast that Charleston would be a team that I would probably be looking to fade because I thought they would be a, a public side. But when I make this line two and a half, and it's now at five and a half, San Diego State, the favorite, uh, it's just too juicy to pass up. You know, I thought the book obviously would have a little more uh, respect for Charleston's 31 wins. Uh, Charleston played uh, at then number one North Carolina. Hard to think in those terms, but the Tar Heels ranked number one early in the season. They lost uh, in Chapel Hill 102-86 to to the Tar Heels in their second game of the year, but actually led that game by seven at the half. Uh, San Diego State this season, your typical solid San Diego State team, uh, won the Mountain West regular season, also won the conference tournament uh, championship as well. But getting five and a half, uh, San Diego State's going to have to win this game by six for me to lose the, the bet. Uh, so I'll be on the public side. I think Charleston will be a public side. I'll take uh, Charleston plus five and a half over San Diego State. Bruce, you had a first-hand look at the Aztecs as they won the Mountain West Conference Tournament. Very impressed, although I, I understand that the Charleston uh, argument here. I mean, uh, they're good, and uh, the Mountain West, let's face it, has struggled. I think we're uh, 0-8 now, the last eight in the tournament for the Mountain West teams, and San Diego State's been part of that. But you know, the matchups have been a little bit different. Just fundamentally, from watching the Aztecs up close, uh, I think this is a matchup that isn't too bad for them. We know Charleston loves to shoot threes. They don't shoot threes any better than Utah State. They shoot more of them. They don't shoot them as accurately. 
What impressed about San Diego State was the way they closed down on the perimeter. I mean, this is a physical team, too. They didn't see Charleston. Okay, they played North Carolina early, but in the Colonial, they didn't see teams as physical as this. And uh, the athletes they've got out there in the perimeter, I mean, if Charleston's going to keep shooting, but they're not going to have that many clear looks because um, this is really exceptional what the Aztecs do. The problem they have with them sometimes is, is their shooting, but uh, you saw, you know, Matt Bradley transfer last year from Cal, Seco, uh, uh, Butler hit that three-pointer to win at New Mexico uh, at the buzzer. I think the Aztecs are a team to watch here. So I'm leaning to them a little bit here, but I, I understand that Charleston, uh, listen, they, this is this is as good a 12 seed as there is out there. And historically, like Paul said, we've seen how well they can go. So I understand the Charleston sentiment, but I'm just a little partial to the Aztecs after seeing them the other day. I was very, very impressed. All right, second to last game of the Thursday morning session, 410 Eastern tip, number two seed, Arizona, 14 and a half, 154, currently at Bet Rivers over the 15 seed, Princeton. Princeton, I believe Bruce uh, was uh, a slight dog against Penn on Saturday and then Yale uh, on Sunday as they uh, came from behind in both of those uh, to win those in some very tight games. But 14 and a half, I mean, again, 2 and 15, it's not, Paul, this is, this is not too big of a number. Arizona is a tough team to figure out. Man, very, very talented. I know their backcourt is young and could be inconsistent. But, uh, man, they struggled against a UCLA team that just lost one player after the next, after the next, after the next, and had to survive a very clean look from three at the buzzer to uh, win the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah, I mean, you know, Arizona, obviously, like like most teams in college basketball, they've they've been a little bit uneven in their performance at times, but they're uh, obviously uh, far superior athletically to Princeton. I made this game fourteen and a half, and that's exactly where the the number is at Bet Rivers. So it's a it's a no go for me. I think Princeton. I was just looking there quickly. Princeton, I believe, played one tournament team uh, during their regular season, that being Iona. Uh, lost to the Gales by six on a neutral uh, floor. So, um, you know, again, Ivy Leaguers uh, going to play uh, very disciplined but not accustomed to playing teams uh, perhaps as big and athletic as Arizona. So I think there's better better opportunities, better oppor- uh, betting opportunities, rather, uh-huh. uh, on the board. So this is a game that I'll pass. Bruce, do you like the format that the Ivy League, because a lot of people have talked about how just try and make it Make it advantageous. Give your, your your higher seed, your best team that could give you the best chance of making a little noise uh, in the dance. They ne- they used to never play a conference tournament. Now they just reduced it to four. Yeah, it's a little odd, and, and the way it cycles through, it was this was Princeton's year to host, so they had it at Jadwin Gym this year. So they they hosted it and they took a, a, advantage of that. I thought, by the way, that was the biggest center court logo I've ever seen uh, in the <laughs> Ivy that they had at the Princeton this, these last couple of days. I thought Yale was probably the best team in the league, and Yale had, and and Ivy teams historically have put up a decent fight most years in the first round. This is not your dad's Princeton either. Uh, uh, there are elements of the old Pete Carroll Princeton offense. They go at much faster speed. I mean, last year this team scored almost 80 points per game. This year about 76 per game. I mean, this is they're scoring like the Bill Bradley Princeton teams, not the uh, Pete Carroll Princeton teams. So uh, they, they, they do some things that I think gives them a shot. I'm actually looking at, at, at Princeton here. Uh, Arizona, listen, they, when they get up the court quick and, and they attack really quick, but 
they really don't have guys who beat you off the dribble. And Princeton is going to make their bigs come out and defend them because they still spread the floor and they move quick and they're, they're taking shots at a more rapid pace these days. So I think Princeton is going to be one of these 15 seeds that in the first half, you're going to look up there at the halftime. This is going to be like a two or three point game and say, this might be interesting. So yeah, Princeton first half. And I think Princeton's going to hang around. Uh, I'm not sure Arizona's as overwhelming as they looked at some points of the season. Yeah, maybe a little branding uh, kind of reverse type of approach here because at 154, how many times have we seen a Princeton team that's gone to the NCAA tournament uh, have a total that that's high? I mean, now, again, the Georgetown game, there was no shot clock. You know, that was before the, you know, the shot clock era. But still, we still had that branding in our head, slow it down. Back to our cuts, Petey Carell, the whole thing. No, they 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 have no problem with getting it up and down a little bit, much to the contrary of uh, of their past reputation. All right, let's get to the final game of the Thursday morning session, the first quadrant of the uh, games. This will be a 4.30 Eastern tip, 8-9 here. Arkansas Razorbacks, uh, number 8 seed, 2.5, 144.5 over the number 9 seed, Illinois. Uh, Paul, I know this is one that catches your attention. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised, obviously, at the, the line uh, that they came out with on this game. When the, the lines came out last night, uh, Arkansas favored by three at most stores, and I, I took the three with Illinois. I made this line pick. Uh, the line now, uh, Arkansas minus two and a half there in at Bet Rivers. And, again, like a lot of teams, uh, college basketball teams, even ones in the tournament, this Arkansas team, you know, they've just been so uneven. Um Throughout the year, you look at their athleticism, um, and it seems like the the you know the parts uh, are just greater than the sum. Uh, it's just a team that, in my mind, should have finished at better than eight and ten in the Southeastern Conference regular uh, season. Uh, and although you know their losses were to ranked teams, they come in the tournament having lost four of their last five games. Again, all four of those losses to ranked teams, so there's not a great deal of shame in that. And looking at Illinois, to be fair, and, and present uh, both sides of the story, they don't come in on any more of a high note necessarily. They've lost five of the last eight, uh, but they've got a pair of Big 12 defectors, uh, Terrence Shannon uh, Jr., who played at Texas Tech, Matthew Mayer from Baylor. You know, they've both uh, excelled in the big dance. They know what this tournament's about. And for me, this is just really about the number, again, uh, I made it pick. I thought it was kind of a toss-up game. Took three with Illinois and still could take uh, two and a half uh, with the fighting Illini. So I like Illinois to keep this one very close and perhaps uh, defeat the Razorbacks uh, there on Thursday. Uh, Bruce, maybe a little uh, past uh, experience, maybe a little bit of – preseason buildup with the Arkansas Razorbacks, driving that number up a little bit more than Paul had uh, thought. What, five wins the last two tournaments uh, from, um, you know, a Muscleman's crew. And uh, now he's had about uh, Nick Smith back about, what, seven, eight games or so, and it just – I don't see any, any progress, you know. He's certainly dangerous, but he also – and just seems to – he has no idea of shot selection. He's going to take it – Early in the uh, early in the shot clock, with I mean a, 
off balance. It just has no rhyme or reason to where shot selection right now. And it's just it's been a little bit disappointing. And Musselman has not been able to get this group to kind of come together, uh, you know, in knowing that they're getting ready for the big dance here. Yeah. Since Smith came in, I mean, their, their ceiling is higher with him. He gives them some outside shooting when he's hot. I mean, he's, he is their guy who has to shoot because they have some problems with that. But the floor can be lower because who knows? He could come in and miss 17 or 18 shots. I mean, he shows up like it's an AAU game here and he starts shooting. And that's one of the problems that I saw for, for Arkansas this year, especially down the stretch. Um, you Into February, mid-February, I mean, when you've had almost a full season to get your rotation set and, and, and the combinations right – and all of a sudden, parachuting in is a high ball usage, volume shooter, and you got to change everything. You're, everything changes when this guy shows up. So that's not that easy to do for us. And they never really put that, that string together this year that I thought they were going to do. It's not the same team as last year. They don't do it the same way. Obviously, all those guys left after last year. But that team really crashed the boards. I mean, they shot more free throws than any team in the tournament last year because it was a lot off the offensive glass. Jalen Williams was a great yeah. uh, facilitator for them last year. It's not the same team this year. They need Smith to really shoot. I'll say this, though. I was really down in Illinois. The season progressed. I mean, this was a team, a ranked team, a highly ranked team. Really, they beat UCLA in that tournament in uh, Vegas. A lot of athleticism there. Shannon, who Paul mentioned, Mayer coming from Baylor. Uh, but down the stretch, they were very erratic. Something seemed to happen with them, and I thought they faded. Uh, and Arkansas, you saw some good games, some good, some uh, not-so-good games. So I actually went a little of Arkansas here just because I think there's a chance they could go on a little bit of a, of a roll here. I just don't see it from Illinois now, though I understand the reluctance to back Arkansas because they have been inconsistent. You mentioned Jalen Williams, and he did do a lot uh, for Arkansas, but he may have been the reason why the NCAA uh, has implemented the, uh, the flop rule. You know, the penalty there because he was on the ground constantly uh, for the Razorbacks. All right, that's the first quadrant. Again, uh, Paul Stone, Bruce Marshall, is thorough, is, uh, is, you know, as knowledgeable as it gets. They, had, they hadn't been um, kind of following the college basketball season a month or two ago. They've been doing it all even in the offseason preparing uh, for this time. So we do all four quadrants by time. So Thursday a.m., Thursday p.m., Friday a.m., Friday p.m. in order of uh, start times. For Paul Stone of Paul Stone Sports, Bruce Marshall of the Gold Sheet, I'm Jimmy Ott here in the Sports Betters Paradise on the Bet Rivers Network.